Wedged between Russia and China, the ancient land of Mongolia is one of the world's oldest civilizations. It also has one of the smallest Catholic populations, just 1,500 people. But Pope Francis is in Mongolia this week for his 43rd foreign visit since taking office in 2013. But why is he going? Professor Christy Nabham Warren is an expert in Catholicism at the University of Iowa, and she wrote about the visit for the conversation. I think a lot of folks are scratching their heads. And I think that this journey of his, this apostolic visit that he's undergoing right now in Mongolia, really speaks loudly to his priorities. For this pope, the numbers don't matter so much as the people. And even though there are fewer than 1,500 Catholics, this is really, I would say, a deeply symbolic journey. He's a pope who's really focused on his own brand of liberation theology, which has a preferential option for the poor. Mongolia has had high rates of poverty. There's a lot of mining there, some environmental degradation that's starting to happen. So I think this pope is really making a bold statement that people matter and the numbers don't matter as much. Mongolia is wedged, by the way, between China, which is an officially atheist country, and Russia. During the Cold War, it was part of the sphere of influence of the old Soviet Union, which was also officially atheist. Am I right to assume, Christy, that for much of the past 70 or 80 years, there hasn't been much religion in Mongolia at all? It's fairly easy for us to assume that there hasn't been any because of sort of the atheist sort of border countries. But I mean, as a scholar of religion, what I find so interesting is that there's always religion on the ground. What scholars we call religion, others might call spirituality. But, you know, there's sort of an indigenous shamanistic beliefs. There's centuries old Nestorianism that dates back to the 5th century CE, 4th and 5th century CE. So I think religion's always been there. It's just been more practice in homes, underground, maybe not sort of publicly professed and practiced. But most certainly, I think just in about most places in the world, religion's always existed. And, And in regimes and close to regimes that are officially atheistic, people always find a way to practice their beliefs. And so I think that this also has happened in Mongolia. We've also seen this in China. You know, the Catholic Church has really been growing in China over the last 15 years. And it's now above ground. It's no longer below ground. So I think that we did see religion. We have seen it, but not as public as we've seen it in the last, I'd say, 40, 50 years. I think if there has been a flowering of religion since the end of the Cold War, isn't it the growth of Buddhism there? I think that it remains the single biggest religion. Yes, absolutely. It's Tibetan Buddhism. And, you know, there have been some recent articles out that Tibetan Buddhists are a bit worried about the spread of Catholicism. But what, what they're not worried about, though, is this Pope because he's shown that he wants to engage in ecumenical dialogue and interfaith dialogue. So we think that because it's this Pope going now, I think he's seen as less of a threat because his way of evangelizing and missionizing is certainly not the way that we've seen historically of previous Popes and previous leaders. I mean, he very much wants to engage in interfaith dialogue, and he doesn't necessarily want Tibetan Buddhism to go away or to adapt to Catholic ways. So I think that that's where he's also pretty distinctive from other post-Vatican II popes. And aren't there supposed to be a number of interfaith events on this trip to Mongolia? 
Yes, there are going to be events. There's going to be like a center for women who are victims of domestic violence and children. There's going to be a food pantry open. That's sort of this joint Buddhist, Catholic, Christian venture. There's also, we've seen a rise in evangelical Christianity as well. So I think what this Pope is really wanting to do now is make a statement that every single person matters. Every single person is somebody. There's not a large numeric presence, but he really wants to work with other religious leaders and religious people. A lot of journalists and scholars are saying that they wouldn't be surprised if he does have a visit to China next. So, Before we get to China, by the way, even though we've been yes. focusing on the fact that uh, there's fewer than 1,500 Catholics in Mongolia, Catholicism though in Mongolia, according to your piece does actually reach back quite a long time. How? It does. I think there's a direct link with Nestorian theologies. It's an Eastern branch of Christianity. And so I think that the Christian presence in Mongolia from the fourth century to very recently has been more Nestorianism, which I think, you know, Mary was a big part of this Eastern branch, Jesus. There are differences theologically between Roman Catholicism and Nestorianism. But because they're so similar and they both see Mary as worthy of veneration, Mary is a very big figure in both of these religions. That's enabled Roman Catholicism to adapt and to adapt well. And there has been um, a cardinal in the capital of Mongolia now for several years, and it's been growing under his watch. So it'll be interesting to see how this Pope's talk of interfaith, how he values it, how that's going to actually work on the ground. Christy, what is the political implication of the Pope going to a country, as I say, wedged between Russia and China, particularly, for example, China, because that's where a lot of the Vatican effort is focused in recent years. There's a political implication of this visit, I'm suspecting. Yes. When we study religious history, we always have to look at political history and also oftentimes they're intertwined, right? I mean, the Roman Catholic Church for many years, you know, was cross and crown. This is strategic on his part. And I don't mean that in a negative way, you know, but I think that any leader has to be strategic in their visits. And he's an aging pope. He's being very strategic in where he goes, how long he stays. The Roman Catholic Church has been growing in China. I know my family and I visited back in 2015. I gave a paper there at a conference, as did my spouse. It was a History of Christianity conference. And I was blown away by the growth of Roman Catholicism there. We actually visited a church and sort of sat through mass. For, but it's really interesting to see how, in a quote unquote communist nation country, how Christianity has really been growing and how it's very public. I suspect that China would be the most natural next step. And there have been the relationship between the Mongolian leader and the Chinese leader have really improved over the years. And the mining has actually cemented that political engagement as well, because there are two direct railroad lines from Mongolia to China. And so there are economic ties there that I think the Pope is interested in too. Yeah, well, I'm very glad you mentioned that issue of mining in Mongolia. How does that fit in with the Pope's broader agenda about the environment, for example? 
Yes. So the United States and China have both made pretty significant investments in Mongolia's mining industry. And China is a major importer of Mongolian coal. This is where the rub is, right? Mining is a very detrimental, it's very damaging to the environment, waterways, land, and air, underground as well as mountaintop removal. This is underground mining. And so it'll be a really interesting test for the Pope because he's all about people's liberation, liberation theology. But as we know from recent encyclicals, he's also about protecting the environment and seeing humans' relationships with the environment and non-human animals as deeply intertwined. He's going to have to walk an interesting line, but we also know this Pope is very outspoken. He's been outspoken in the Democratic Republic of the Congo about the mining industry there and how it's destroyed the environment and also destroyed lives. And, you know, I quote this in my piece where he's got really vivid quotes about, you know, blood diamonds and the blood of people. I'm anticipating that he may be making some really strong statements, good for the economy, but you have to protect the environment and the people. Christine Abam Warren of the University of Iowa, she also wrote a fascinating book recently about the vibrant religious life in, of all places, America's abattoirs and meatworks. And we discuss Christie's book in a web and podcast extra, which you can find at our website or at ABC Listen. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.